our reading today is from John, um, the book of John, chapter 7, verses 45 to 52. Finally, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asks, why did you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Thank you, Ian, for reading for us. Um, if you have your Bible, please do keep that open. Uh, we're going to be uh, digging deep into that passage. Let me pray for us as we do that. Let's pray again. Father, we praise you for the wisdom that Jesus has and the depth which the scriptures reveal of the human heart. Father, as, uh, as Jesus has confronted these men and exposed what they are like, please would you expose our own hearts? Please give us humility. Help us to recognise where there are things here that, that are, are, are familiar to us, either in our own hearts or in, in those around us. And please help us to know how to respond to these things in a way that brings you the most glory. Amen. Thank you for being willing to come back. If you've come back, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a little series for three weeks looking at Jesus and the Pharisees and the way John particularly records for us the, the sort of peeling back of the layers of the human heart in the Pharisees and showing us what they're like. Last week we were in chapter five, where Jesus taught us that uh, the Pharisees were living for the approval of others rather than the approval that comes from God. They they loved the approval that came from their crowd, that, that this group of religious people, and they loved the fact that people looked up to them and, and gave them all this um, approval. And this week we're going to see that being in that position and, and being desperate to preserve their position, their love of praise from people causes them to behave in what I think we can say is, is abusive ways. Indeed, what's so shocking in this passage is they abuse the very people whose approval they desire. What I've paused just to come and think, okay, what does that teach us about sin and the human heart? Let's 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 dig in and we'll we'll have a look. So, what's the threat in our passage? What is it that causes them to be so anxious? Have a look at verse forty-eight with me. Uh, the thing they ask is, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, they say. No, uh, no, we haven't. If people believe in Jesus, if they listen to his words and they believe what he says about himself, they will cease to believe the Pharisees. If the Pharisees lose their position as, as the top dogs in, in the religious world, they risk losing the approval that they live for. Therefore, they have to stop people believing in Jesus. They have to take a defensive action to silence the words of Jesus. 
they try to have him arrested in, in verse 32, but the, the temple guards, they come back in verse 45 and they haven't arrested Jesus. Um, now, uh, why? Why don't they bring Jesus? What, what do they say in verse uh, 46? No one ever spoke the way this man does. No one ever spoke the way this man does. See, Jesus' words are compelling. They're extraordinary. If, if you've never read through a gospel, if you're just looking into Christian things, I really do recommend just taking any one of the gospels and reading it right through. It'll take you an hour and a half, two hours to read through and just listen to Jesus' teaching. It is extraordinary. They're, they're right, aren't they, the guards? No one in all of history has ever spoken the way Jesus does. Now, have a look at the end of that passage and Nicodemus. He says something quite similar, doesn't he? Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? In other words, just like the guards, Nicodemus says, can we give him a fair hearing? Can, can we listen to his words? Neither of them is saying we believe in Jesus yet, although Nicodemus will by the end of the gospel. They're just saying, can we listen to what Jesus has to say? Which is the very thing the Pharisees can't allow because people might believe in Jesus. So they have to shut those words down. They're backed into a corner. They, they can't allow people to realise that Jesus really is God. So, so they go on the attack. And that's really what I want us to see in this passage this afternoon. They've tried to silence Jesus, but Jesus has got away and he's, he's still teaching in the temple. So they have to stop people listening to him they're desperate to protect their their god which is the approval of others and they're trying to try to do it in a way that hides the fact that they've got this sort of darkness in their hearts which really will come and have a proper look at next week now please notice i think that this is the methodology of all abusers uh, whether you think about the me too movement or, or uh, the recent fall of, of some prominent uh, church people or actually any number of other domains there is both abuse and there is a hiding of of that abuse and, and, and manipulation there's, there's abuse on top of the abuse a way of hiding uh, uh, hiding away uh, disparaging people so here um uh, pe people come forward don't they they uh, they say look you know, I've been treated badly and, and, and someone like Ravi Zacharias, for example, has sued people who they have abused to silence them. What we're seeing in our passage this afternoon is so similar to stuff that is happening today. We just need to see that, that this is a pattern of the human heart. When we're, when we're motivated by a love of power, a love of prestige, a love of position, it can drive us to all sorts of terrible behaviours. Abusers will use their power to silence the voices of others. That's what we're seeing here. And three times in our passage, have a look. The Pharisees use their position, their authority, to undermine the credibility of other people so that they won't listen to Jesus. They, they shame them into silence. They belittle and demean. Let me show you. The first, first let's take the, the temple guards. They... Uh, who only want to listen to Jesus. Remember, they, they just want to give Jesus a fair hearing. 
And this is what the Pharisees say to them. They, they basically imply that, they, that Jesus is a liar and uh, the, the gods, who are priests themselves, they're, they're, they're trained, they're educated, biblical men, they're foolish to listen to him. Verse 47, you mean he's deceived you also? And then they make a comparison between themselves, the, the super holy, super educated elites and these run-of-the-mill priests who are the temple guards. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? Now, can you hear what they're saying? We're more experienced than you. We're better trained than you. We're more qualified than you to judge Jesus. We all think he's a liar. Who do you think you are to think differently to us? Well, they say, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? And, and John, in the sort of way that he does, the, the irony that he brings out, points out that Nicodemus, who is one of their number, steps out of line. He, he says, well, actually, uh, I, I do want to listen to Jesus. I do think we should give him a, a, a hearing. And, and notice how they attack him. The first thing they do is, is quite racial, isn't it? Are you from Galilee too? Are you from that despised backwater? I guess uh, we all know that that can sometimes happen. I don't know whether that's your experience at Westminster, that some people might come from uh, the sort of provinces that other people look down on. I guess we're up here in, in the north, up in Yorkshire, and Yorkshire people can look down on other people, uh, but also because we're in the north and we live near Hull, Hull gets looked down on quite a lot by other people. It would be as if to say, are you from Hull? Nothing good ever comes out of Hull. We're not listening to you. You're, you must be stupid. And actually, the implication is either that Galileans are by nature idiots, or I think more likely and more specifically, that the only possible explanation for Nicodemus even listening to Jesus is that he must be a Galilean like Jesus, sort of predisposed to listen to him because he's from the same tribe, and probably that Nicodemus is gullible to boot. Then they treat him as an uneducated gullible fool. Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee, which I think would have been news to Nahum and Jonah, who were both from Galilee. Um, but the point is, not that it's true, but that in, the, in, in a public forum, they can belittle him. They abuse him. They, they ignore what he wants to say. Can we listen to Jesus? Doesn't the law in, in, uh, demand that we listen to Jesus? Give him a fair hearing. The truth gets in the way. So the law is put to one side. The truth about the prophets is put to one side in order to disparage one of their own number. Push him out of the circle. You're not one of us anymore. And by the way, you're an idiot fool from a racially despised minority. It's horrible, isn't it? And in neither case do they engage with the point that's being made. Jesus is the most extraordinary teacher who's ever lived. And the Lord does require that a man be given a chance to speak before we condemn him for the things that he says. But again, why let the word of God get in the way? The third abuse, I think, is the most shocking. And it's there in verse 49. Have a look with me. This mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse 
on them. The word mob is, is quite pungent, isn't it? It conjures up images of, of riots and violence and, and, and crowds baying incoherently. But this mob, as they call it, is a religious gathering at the temple to worship God. They're being dismissed again as uneducated. They know nothing of the law. How often is that the stick that abusers use to silence the voice of others so that people don't look closely and see that actually there's some truth in what's being said? You don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Go away. Worse still, they pronounce a curse on them. That's, that is to say, they damn them. All for the crime of listening to Jesus. Jesus, who, according to Peter in chapter 6, has the words of eternal life. It's a shock, isn't it? should be a shock. The religious leaders who hate the truth and would silence Jesus so that other people cannot hear and believe the words of eternal life. The religious leaders who love the approval of the people, but here's the shock, they hate the people. Love the approval of the people, but hate the people. Who would happily damn them, who use and abuse them for their own ends to, to bolster their social position, and then discard them without a second thought. It is beyond horrible, isn't it? Makes my skin crawl. I hope it does for you too. And what's worse is the passage could have been written for us today, couldn't it? How many people are silenced so the truth of what they say isn't heard? How many people are, are publicly shamed and damned on social media? Well, we could think about that, couldn't we? How do we respond? Let me give you three thoughts. And I'm sure we've got, we can chat afterwards if you can stay around. First of all, I think we need to admit that the heart of the Pharisees here is not completely beyond any of us, is it? Uh, with, with some minor exceptions, I suspect we all know what it is uh, to uh, love the approval of others and to try to uh, manipulate people, to think we're better than we are. To, to gain an advantage, uh, to do things that are foolish and perhaps even quite sinister. If you're not convinced about that, let me give you two ways in which I think we can nearly all do that. I wonder if you've ever been truly honest on social media, if you use social media. I wonder, do you, for, for every time you put a photo of you on a night out or on your holidays or in some lovely location, do you put uh, pictures of rainy Tuesday commutes in February? I guess not, because we like to present the best face, don't we? Not an honest face, but the best version of our lives. How about at church? Uh, we can all put on our Sunday faces, can't we? People say, how are you doing? Say, Everything's fine with me. Would you like another cup of tea? Let's ignore the question. Let's not let it get too personal. There's a reason, I think, that church relationships can feel quite superficial. Because we're terrified that people will actually think, know what we're really like, and then they won't want to talk to us. We'll lose face socially. I don't think it's beyond us to think like the Pharisees, is it? We can try to cover up our true selves in front of our online friends, in front of our church family, but God knows what we're, we like. From his gaze, there is no hiding. 
He sees the worst of us, including the times, the many times when we've lived for the approval of others rather than rested in the approval of God that we were thinking about last week. This passage could be us, couldn't it? But it doesn't have to be. So if we've come to Jesus, if we've heard the words of eternal life that Peter has heard and believes, if we believe them, then we're forgiven people, cleansed by Christ, and we glory in the approval of God. See, God sees the deepest depths of our hearts. He sees the things that we even hide from ourselves. We're good at that, aren't we? And he still loves us. Through Jesus, it's all forgiven, all transformed so that God approves of us. We don't need to hide, not from him and not from anyone else anymore. In fact, I would argue that it's an act of unbelief to try to hide from God, as Jonah did, for example. We can't hide from God, and wonderfully, we don't have to hide from one another either. We no longer live for the approval of others. We, we get to bring our whole selves into the light of Christ to be seen by others for who we are and for how God is remaking us to be like Jesus. See, I think a Christian is someone who ought to live a consistent life, honest enough with others that we're, we're not presenting our Sunday best faces, we're, we're being real with people, and consistently godly when we're in our most secret places because God sees all of it. There's no darkness to be to, to hide away to to try to protect as the pharisees do a consistent christian never needs to distort the truth or abuse others to protect hidden motives because there aren't any there's no hidden goals no hidden gods and our god doesn't need our protection indeed he forbids us to abuse others that's what's so shocking about abuse scandals in the church which which are bound to happen from time to time it's so shocking because it's so forbidden for us the true church should be a, the safest place in the world shouldn't it the pharisees show us that if we live for the approval of others you will use people and ultimately you'll abuse people manipulate them for your own ends but the gospel transforms us because we're so loved by God, we we're able to love others, live for their blessing, not, not for the blessing that comes from them, but for their blessing. Let me give you a third step. I don't think it's enough simply to seek to bless others. Paul says, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, rather expose them. As people of the truth, just as Jesus is a God of truth who confronted the Pharisees and, and called out their wickedness for what it was. So we need to be a people who shine the light into the dark places and expose sin and, and abuse when we find it. Not cover it up, but show it for what it is. I'm so thankful to God that a, a number of abusive church leaders have been exposed recently. Of course, I'd, I'd rather there was no abuse in the church. I really would. Of course I would. But given that there are... And there will be till Christ returns. I rejoice that some people have shone the light of Christ into this abuse and shown it for what it is for the sake of the victims. And that it's all happened at the sort of same time. It's been good for us, I think, because it makes us stop and reflect. It's our responsibility to be such people of the light that the lies and abuse which corrupt powerful people and which destroy the lives of what the Pharisees call the mob should be exposed. So let's be consistent Christians, full of the love of God, exposing the deeds of darkness that we might be free 
and might be free from the bondage of sin and suffering and, and bring uh, those people who are suffering into the glorious kingdom of King Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, you are true and good and holy and pure in all of the things you do. And Christ is all of those things as well. Confronted with his goodness and his perfect teaching, the Pharisees turned to abuse in the most horrific ways. Father, help us, please, to come into the light, to be people of the light. Help us to be uh, those who are consistent in our private and public lives. Help us to find our approval in Jesus alone. Uh, would that enable us to be a people who can then love others, not abuse them and use them? And would you help us to be a people who shine the light of your truth into the dark places that we find, that we might uh, help others who are who are suffering and crushed and abused, uh, that we might be able to transform uh, this uh, this society. Father, I do want to pray for, for those who are with us in this meeting, who being involved in Parliament have perhaps more power to do that than many of us do. Father, I pray that you'd be with, with each person here today, that you would help them to be consistent, godly people, and that they might shine the light of your truth into the dark places for Jesus' sake. Amen.